Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to talk about resilience. We're going to talk about nature first. This picture that's here is a picture of um, nature's resilience. You know, we can pave paradise, we can put up a parking lot, but eventually nature's going to go ahead and come back and, and take that over. Nature is very resilient. You see resilience in the arts too. Do you remember a movie called Rocky? That was a story of resilience. Rocky 2, that just shows you how resilient Rocky is. Rocky 3, resilience. Rocky 4, resilience. Rocky, it just keeps coming, right? Yeah, resilience. Probably one of the neatest places I ever see resilience is in human beings. There's an individual whose name is Bud Vogel. Bud, Bud is a friend of mine. He is a pastor of an alliance church here in Pennsylvania. Um, about three years ago, I'm guessing, maybe four or five years ago, Bud, who was about my age at that time, had a debilitating stroke. Um, Bud uh, lost his ability to speak. He lost his ability to walk. He lost his ability to lose his hand, or use his hands uh, to write, things like that. He was uh, pretty incapacitated. And that's hard for anybody, but you're losing your ability to talk. That is really hard for a pastor. Uh, and it's, uh, it was a difficult time for him. But, you know, um, Bud was resilient. He was not crushed by that stroke. Physical therapy and a lot of prayer and exercise and a lot of prayer and speech therapy and a lot of prayer, occupational therapy and a lot of prayer, hard work and a lot of prayer. And do you know what Bud Vogel is doing right this very minute? Standing in a pulpit preaching. That's what he's doing this very moment. You know why? Resilience. Resilience. It is a really a beautiful thing, resilience is. So I want to talk to you about it in the weeks that are ahead. This past week, I was at the, uh, um, in State College at the Ramada Inn speaking to the Pennsylvania State Police Members Assistance Program for their prayer breakfast. I had an opportunity to gather with those who were there who elected to join for a prayer breakfast. And I thought, what should I speak about? And I asked the uh, gentleman who um, invited me, I said, what is the theme? And he said, the theme is resilience. And I thought, that's amazing because I've been thinking about that theme anyway. And so I, I went down and I spoke, and I spoke on resilience from a spiritual perspective. Gave them a couple pieces of information on, on that. And then afterward, I stuck around for the first speaker who was doing her seminar there in that packed room of Pennsylvania State Police uh, personnel. And she was a psychologist. Uh, she had a private practice in Eastern Pennsylvania, and she spoke on resilience. And as she spoke, she had three main points. And two of her three points were the two points that I shared at breakfast. And I could see, you know, when she mentioned the first point, there were some of the ones that had been at breakfast, and they turned around and looked, looked at me like, do you hear what she's doing? Did, did you copy her material? You know, I know that's what they're thinking, right? And then when she did the next point, they're like, she's copying your material. That's what's going on there. And neither is true. Neither is true. We were both thinking about resilience from the same perspective. And what I took from that, something that got me thinking about that, is that resilience is not just a psychological issue. It's a spiritual issue. The ability to get back up when you fall is a spiritual issue, a spiritual ability. Now, about this same time through the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking about what are we doing next now that we've finished lies that even seasoned Christians can believe. What, what is next? And I was flipping through my notebook on my phone. I have an Evernote file that I keep nothing in but sermon ideas. And I looked at one that I'd written down several years ago, and, and I came up with something that I was reading from a book for pastors. The name of the book is Fail. It's by a man whose name is J.R. Briggs. And, and that book is written for pastors who have been in a ministry and have failed. Now, it's not moral failure we're talking about necessarily, but that book speaks about, you know, those pastors that their 
they went to a church with high hopes, and four years later, they were closing that church. Can you imagine what that would feel like after pouring your heart into a ministry and then watching that ministry collapse, watching it fold? That's tough. It also speaks to pastors who have gone into a church and four years later been fired from that position. And it speaks of all kinds of of failures that pastors can experience in ministry. Well, the book happened to be a freebie on uh, Google Play or Kindle or one of those places. And, and when I saw it, I, I, I get all the free books just in case I want it. And I flipped through it and, and I thought to myself, I have a pastor friend who openly admits when he's among his peers that he has been fired from every church he has ever served in. And he's older than I am. And he's been pastoring since his 20s. Every church I've ever been in has fired me. He says almost like he was boasting. And I thought to myself, this gentleman has some things that he needs to get past. And who's going to help him with that? And so I said to him, I said, hey, did you see this book? And I showed him the book. And he said, no, I've never seen it. I said, how would you like to get together weekly and just discuss each chapter in that book? When we got to chapter 9, chapter 9 was a chapter uh, entitled Re-Entry. It was really a chapter about resilience. And what Briggs did in that chapter is he throws these, he has these conferences that are unlike any other ministry conference you can imagine. You know, you can go to a ministry conference where maybe Andy Stanley and Craig Rochelle are telling you how to be a better administrator. And you can go to a ministry conference where maybe John Piper is telling you how to be a better preacher. And you can go to a ministry conference where maybe someone's telling you how to have a worship ministry that really sounds great. And you can go to all those, all those I call them like rah-rah conferences, you know, and I've been to several of them. I love them, right? But Briggs, when he does a conference, he calls it an epic fail conference. And he says, the only way you're allowed to come to this conference is if you've really failed. And you come to this conference, and we're going to talk to you about how to heal up through that failure. At those conferences, he dialogues with pastors, and he has them fill out reports and so on. And he says in chapter 9 of his book, Fail, he says there are eight essential things that pastors who recover, who, who, who re-enter life again, do. Eight tools that they have that help them to be resilient and come back. And he shares those in about nine pages in that 200 and some page book. Well, you know, if there's anything that your pastor has the gift to do, it's to take something very brief and expand it into hours and hours and hours of material, right? And so I'm taking those eight concepts he has, and I'm making them into eight tools, and I want to speak to you in eight messages about tools that you can use to be more resilient. Because it isn't just pastors who need to use those tools. It's all of us. Now, I asked you some time ago to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4, the Bible app event, you can find it. This is a passage that often is used to talk about the importance of friendship, the importance of, of having someone with you. But I want you to see something that you might not have seen in two verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Listen as I read just these two verses. Solomon says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Now, verse 10, this is really the key. If either of them, here's the phrase, falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, again, when we think of this passage, we always think of the importance of friendship. But I want to suggest to you that Solomon thinks the importance here is being able to get back up. 
The friends aren't just to have. Friends are there to, well, look at the text again, help the other up to help each other be resilient. And what I see Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, saying is resilience is something that we need to address and we need to value. We even need, we even need to emphasize and hone as a skill because getting back up, that's something you're going to have to be good at. Now, I want to make sure that we have kind of a proper understanding of resilience because I mentioned this recently to someone that I was thinking of doing a sermon series on resilience. And the question was a good question. They said, resilience, is that good or bad? And it helped me realize not everybody understands what resilience is. And so if you look up resilience in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, you can see it's the capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation caused especially by compressive stress. Wow, if that isn't right on, right? So whenever there's a compressive stress in my life, that deforms me. And if I'm resilient, I can spring back to the very same shape I was. Do you ever get into somebody's old boat and they have cushions there? And you sit down on them and they're one of two things. Either the cushion is harder than the wooden bench you were just on, right? Or you sit on a cushion and it goes the whole way down. When you get up, it doesn't. It's just flat as can be. There's no resilience. Or maybe you have that piece of furniture in your home and the last time you sat in it, it stayed with your impression. You know, I tend to make an impression wherever I sit. And it stayed with your impression right there. And you're like, whoa, we need to get a new, new uh, armchair because that one has lost its resilience. That's what resilience is. But Miriam Webster goes on to say, it's a human trait as well. It's the ability to recover or adjust easily to misfortune or to change. So when something happens in your life that might crush you, if you're resilient, you return to your previous condition. If you have no resilience, you remain crushed. Resilience actually influences every part of your life. It influences your health, and your health influences your resilience. It influences the impact you have in relationships and the strength of those relationships and the strength of those relationships influences your resilience. Resilience influences the impact you will have for the kingdom of God. What difference will you make in the kingdom of God? It has to do with your resilience and the perceived difference you're making in the kingdom of God that influences your resilience. The person who doesn't have resilience, when they get knocked down, they stay down because resilience, it influences every part of your life. So I think to myself, well, where does resilience come from? I mean, why are some people more resilient than other people? What, what's the difference there? And I would say, first, that resilience tends to come from your spirit. And when I say your spirit, I'm not talking about team spirit, like let's go pens, that kind of spirit. I'm talking about the part of you that interacts with God. That part of your human being nature, it dramatically affects your resilience. I say this because resilience it requires a measure of faith. If you have no sense of God's presence in your life, then resilience is going to be hard for you. It'll be hard for you to come back if you have no sense of God's goodness in your life. On the other hand, if you have a heart that trusts God, if you have a heart that knows he's a good, good father, and you believe him, and you believe in him, and you believe that he's in your corner, then you'll be much more likely to get back up and try something a second time, and a third time, and a fourth and a fifth time. You're less likely as well, if you have a measure of faith, you're less likely to cave to the enemy when he tempts you, when he tells you to give up. You see, your spiritual health is very important in the study of, of resilience because faith is an important factor in it. 
Resilience tends to come from your spirit. It also comes from your mindset. If you have a mindset that is hopeful, you will tend to be more resilient. You'll be less likely to give up because hope helps you keep trying. And you'll be less likely to let depression win because hope helps you see those setbacks as temporary. And you'll be less likely to collapse because hope helps you to stand up and weather the burden, whatever it is, because you have hope that someday it's going to be better. But in contrast, (laughs) if you struggle with some of the things I struggle with, cynicism, skepticism, (laughs) yeah, right. If you have that kind of despair, man, resilience is going to be hard. Hard for the cynic and for the skeptic. Resilience comes from your hope quotient. It comes from your faith quotient. It also comes from your love quotient. It comes from your heart. In fact, one of the strongest contributors to resilience is probably love. I was talking to a woman this week. She is a missionary. I was talking to a woman this week. She's an international worker, and she and her family were overseas in a very difficult place. And as I was speaking to her, I began, as we're going through the conversation, I'm thinking she's still overseas, and then it occurs to me she's at home. Well, that's cool. That's good. I'm glad she's home. I said, so you guys are home now? What's going on in your life? Fill me in. And here's what I discovered. She said, we have had a very hard ministry. It has been intensely difficult because we're in a very difficult country, a place where the people are unwelcoming and the people have not been warm. And on top of that, we're church planting. And that is one of the hardest things to do is to start a country, I'm sorry, to start a church in a country where you're not welcome. And on top of that, while we're there, this country had a military overthrow, a revolution taking place. And there we were in the middle of that with all those stresses. And we just needed to come home and heal. I get that. I'm glad they're home. Here's what I believe. I know that family pretty well. And I know that they have a quotient of faith that says God is a good God. And I know they have a sense of hope that God has something good in mind for them. And I know that they are people of love who love God and love the people they were serving in that other country. So my money is on them going back because they're resilient. And their resilience comes from those three things, faith, hope, and love. Which, by the way, were the three points of the speaker in the first session at the Pennsylvania State Police map thing. She's talking to these troopers and she says, if you're going to be resilient, you're going to have to be people of faith, hope, and love. And I'm like, how cool is that? And it leads me to believe that maybe she understood that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these being love. But all of those being important. Now, I'm going to share with you eight different tools for ministry. And as I share those with you, I'm going, to, I'm going to remind you, I want to remind you ahead of time that these are inextricably linked to faith, hope, and love. And that these all come from God for you. Let me give you these eight different things. I want to say to you as well, these are distinctly Christian things and they're available to followers of Christ. The first one is this, spiritual companionship. God gives you spiritual companions, Christian friends to help you be resilient. And if you're going to be resilient, you will need those. When God said, it is not good for man to be alone, and then there was Adam and now there's Eve, he was saying, you need spiritual companionship, Adam. You're not going to make it without a spiritual companion. And they were more than just husband and wife. They were soulmates, you understand. And they were together on the same page. And as they did what God had commanded them, 
as they were fruitful and multiplied, the potential for spiritual companionship for humankind increased dramatically. That you can have spiritual friends, spiritual companions to help you through the experiences of life. Because it is not good for you spiritually to be alone. And so you need someone with whom you can celebrate achievements. You need someone with whom you can consider your setbacks and evaluate those. You need someone with whom you can connect spiritually to kind of understand what God is saying to you and talk to you about those things. Spiritual companionship is an essential for resilience. Here's a second tool, spiritual leadership. God gives us spiritual leaders to help us to become more resilient. You know, as Protestants, we have this kind of shared doctrine that we love. We call it the universal priesthood of believers. It's something that grew out of the Protestant Reformation universally, there's a priesthood belonging to all believers. That in Christ, we have access to the Father. And we understand that because of verses like the verse in 2 Timothy, where it says, there is one God and one mediator, one priest, between God, between God and man, and that mediator is the man Christ Jesus. And so that means you don't need me to intercede for you. You don't have, that's why we don't have a confessional in Protestant churches. You don't have to come to the pastor or to a priest and say, forgive me, Steve, for I have sinned. That's not part of, our, part of our practice because of the universal priesthood of believers. It's a beautiful thing that you can go to Jesus and he hears you and he intercedes on your behalf. But sometimes as Protestants, we can take this doctrine to a place that is not intended. And we can kind of feel like, well, you know what? I'm a priest. I don't need any leadership, spiritually speaking, in my life. I mean, I got as many tools as the next guy. And I don't need a spiritual leader in my life. And when you feel that way, that places you in great danger. And it puts you in a place that the Bible never wants you to be. In the book of Acts, for example, it speaks of Paul and Barnabas. And it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. So every congregation that the New Testament church planted, every one of them had spiritual leaders in them. And that wasn't just leaders that were going to set up, when are we going to have the church dinner kind of leaders? Those were spiritual leaders who could help people in their walk with God. And all of us need those kinds of people. I need those kind of people in my life. People who I can trust to say, I don't think you're thinking right, Steve. People who I can go to to help me deal with sin. I am so angry about this, you would not believe it. Ah, let's talk about that anger, Steve. People to help me pursue God's will for my life. I need those spiritual leaders. And they tend to be my peers, you know, just people just like me who can help me with that sort of thing. This week I was having coffee with a good friend of mine who I consider a spiritual companion, but sometimes he's a spiritual leader in my life and he sure was this week. Because as I sat there drinking coffee, I made a comment about myself that indicated that I believe a lie that even seasoned Christians believe, you know? I just said one of those things. And he interrupted me. He said, stop, 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 stop right there. Don't say that. It's not true. I said, yeah, I know it's not true. Okay. I need that. You need that. And if you're going to be resilient, you're going to have to have that kind of spiritual leadership in your life. Now, this third tool that I'm going to show you, you're going to go like, well, I don't even know if that is a tool. That feels like, that's kind of weird. It's this, it's personal responsibility. God makes you personally responsible to behave well in your life. And in giving you that freedom to do that, he is teaching you to be resilient. Because here's, here's something important to understand. Boy, I hope I can say this well. 
Hear this. Resilience in your life is related to you believing that your life has value. Do you understand that? If you don't feel like your life has value, then you'll be far less likely to bounce back from any traumatic thing. You'll be very likely, if you don't feel that your life is important and has value, you'll be very likely to just give up or give in when bad things come into your life. But if you feel like my life has value, then you will begin to behave responsibly and you will be resilient when things come into your life. Resilient. God gives you this ability to recognize the value of your life by being by being personally responsible. You're not going to believe this, but sometimes Friday and Saturday, I just want to call somebody and say, come and preach. I just don't feel like doing it. I just don't feel like doing it. Some, some of you are saying amen. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm being silly. That is very irresponsible. I could do that, you know. I could pick up the phone and say, I have a headache. I have a headache. Somebody else preached today. Yeah. I could do that. But if I do that, then I do not get to see what God does when I behave responsibly and work hard to write a sermon that connects with you and present it to the very best of my ability. And when I do that, and when I, I see the outcome of that, then I see, son of a gun, Steve Shields' life has some kind of value in the kingdom of God. Who have thunk it? And then... When trials come into my life, I say, I cannot let this trial defeat me because God has something important for me to do. My life has value. Do you see how that's connected? It's a hard connection to make, but it's a very important one to make. Let me give you the fourth tool. The fourth tool is this, internal processing. You see, God directs us to look at our hearts so that we can be more resilient. Hear that? God directs you to look at yourself in order that you can be more resilient. There are a lot of people who say, God never tells you to look at yourself, keep your eyes on Jesus. How in the world can you then examine yourself before you eat of the bread or drink of the cup if you never take a look at yourself? You understand? You need to occasionally, just as your car needs an intentional going over periodically in order to run well, you need an intentional going over every now and then in order to run well. But here's the problem, our lives are really busy. How many of you here, you have a ton of free time you don't know what to do with? Put up your hand. But as adults, we we are kind of like, I am just so busy, I don't even have any time to even process my pain. And so you go through a difficulty, you go through a failure, you go through a struggle, and rather than to deal with that, you fill your life with other things, and then you don't deal with it. And it's something we learn at an early age. We learn that very early on. My brother tried to teach that to me when I was four years old. I had a puppy. I was four years old. You know what's going to happen, right? Because pain's coming. Okay. That puppy got out on the road. It still makes me sad today. He got out on the road, and you know what happens when puppies get on the road. That's exactly right, and he was gone. Do you know what I did at four years of age? I cried, and I cried. I was inconsolable. And my brother was nine years older than me. That makes him 13 years old. What does a 13-year-old think about a four-year-old that won't shut up? (laughs) My brother, he said to me, you know what he said? What do you think he said to me? Steve, quit crying, man. Dad and mom are going to get you another puppy. What do you think I said to him? I don't want another puppy. I want that puppy. And I continued to cry until I was cried out. 
Wow, is that healthy, right? It really was. It was healthy to process my emotion and deal with it so it could come to a resolution, it could come to a close. But where we learned from my brother or your brother or whoever that whenever we suffer some kind of a thing, the best thing to do is just go ahead and replace it. To go ahead and fill our life with something else. And we don't take time for internal processing. We fill our lives with new puppies, new distractions. And in so doing, we leave the hole in our heart unattended. If you want to be resilient, you're going to have to do some internal processing and you're going to have to attend to the issues of your heart in a world that wants to keep you so busy you never have a chance to do that. That's half the tools. Let me give you four more. The fifth tool is the pursuit of God. Actively pursue God and you will create resilience in your life. Jesus says some really neat things over and over again throughout Scripture, but especially in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, he says something that just it had to make the people who heard him think, are you out of your tree? He says in verse 38 of John 7, he says, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And I think one of the translations says, rivers of living water will flow from their bellies, you know? I've never seen an artist try to draw that. <laughs> Thank you, don't, okay? Right? But then Jesus goes on to say, that river of living water is the Holy Spirit of God flowing from you. The Holy Spirit of God flowing from you. And then Jesus talks about, five or six chapters later, six or seven or eight chapters later, in John 15, he talks about how that happens. And he says words like these, he says, I'm the vine, I'm the trunk, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's saying to you, if you want rivers of living water to flow from you, if you want the spirit of God to be influencing people around you, if you want your life to have meaning and purpose of an eternal variety, then you need to get that from me, Jesus says. That has to come from your connection with me. And if that connection is severed, it's not going to happen. And so you're going to have to pursue me. You're going to have to look to me. If I want to get any kind of a meaningful life, I have to connect with Jesus. And if I am going to be connected with Jesus, I am going to have to pursue him. Not just casually, but intentionally. Doggedly. I had a beagle when I was a kid, not the one that got killed. Probably six years later, maybe seven years later, we got a rabbit dog. And I don't care how good your rabbit dog is, ours was better. My rabbit dog, he would chase that rabbit. When you got it, he would bring it back. He would gut it, he would skin it, he would take it in and cook it. (laughs) Any time, and this is true, I never remember him chasing a rabbit that we did not get a shot at. So it was to the point where when you heard him go, that's not bad, is it? (laughs) When you heard him do that, you would just shake your head and say, oh, that poor rabbit. Because that dog chased the rabbit. That's who I want to be myself. Not that I'm chasing a rabbit, but I'm chasing God, doggedly pursuing him. And if I do that, I will have a level of resilience that I could never otherwise have. 
Here's the next one. Ordered worship. Planned worship. I'm not talking about the kind of worship where you hop into your car and you go, oh, Rev FM. I can, oh, I'm going to worship this. I can only imagine what that day will be like. Yeah, I can only imagine. Thanks for listening to Rev FM. Oh, Jesus, that was just such a wonderful time of worship with you. I'm not talking about that one. That's okay. I like that kind of worship. The spontaneous thing happens in your car. I'm talking about worship that is planned where you do several things. Number one, you hear the word of God and you read the word of God. And where you engage in personal prayer. Not just the prayer list that's on the back of the sheet uh, that you get in church, but prayer about what's going on in your life and how am I growing and what are the struggles I'm having and how can you help me, Jesus, to be more like you? What do you want me to do? And where you listen for his spirit to speak to you and say, God, how, how would you like me to approach this day? And where every morning in this worship, if you have it in the morning, you're saying, God, fill my day with a sense of your presence. I want to walk from here as a different man. And when you engage in that kind of worship, it fills up your resilient tank to overflowing and you become more resilient. This next one is a no-brainer, a teachable spirit. If you're a person who can receive instruction, you will find your resilience increasing. Whether you're wrestling or playing football or playing tennis or having the lead in a school play vocally or learning karate, you need someone to teach you. You need a coach. You need someone to help you. Someone to teach you the game. Someone to correct your mistakes. Someone to help you sound better. Someone to, to, to put you on the right path. Jim Bell told me this story. It's the story of Frank Reich and Peyton Manning. Do you know Peyton Manning? He's a pretty stinking good quarterback. Do you know Frank Reich? I didn't think he did. So Peyton Manning was a quarterback of the, of the Colts at this time. He was just at the peak of his career, I, I might say. He was doing well, and the Colts hired Frank Reich to come and be his quarterback coach. Frank Reich had a brief career with the Buffalo Bills where he backed up Jim Kelly. His claim to fame is one time at halftime, he came in and relieved Jim Kelly, and the biggest comeback ever in football history was Frank Reich. He threw that ball, and, and they won that game. I watched that game. It was a great game. And that was pretty much the end of Frank Reich's talent, you know? I don't know that he ever did anything. He spoke at Brennan's school one time. And uh, Jim was telling me that, that Frank said, Frank said, you know, when I went in to coach Peyton Manning and we went into the room and I'm like, what in the world am I going to tell this icon of football? Listen to what Peyton said, Frank Reich telling the story. He looked at me and he said, listen, I don't care who I am or who you are. You need to coach me like you know more than me. And you need to tell me when I'm doing it wrong. And you need to tell me when I'm doing it right. And you need to tell me that if I don't stop that, I'm going to lose this game. And you need to tell me if I'm holding the ball wrong, everything I do, I want you to critique because I want to be a better quarterback and that's what you're hired to make me. <laughs> you ever wonder why Peyton Manning was such an icon and such a great quarterback? It's because he had a teachable spirit. He had a teachable spirit. You want some resilience in your life and you're going to have to accept correction and you're going to have to, to drink in all of all that you can. We have such opportunities from the Bible app to Christian radio. The first Christian radio around was WDBA. I can still remember I was a little kid when that, when that went on the air. It was the only Christian radio station we could get in the car. Now that's all there is, Christian radio stations. You've got to get XFM or something if you want something different, it seems, right? They're all over the dial. We are so blessed by that. 
Christian small groups, teaching, video ministries. There's a lot of opportunity for teaching. Here's a final tool, an optimistic outlook. You cannot be resilient if you have no hope. And hope comes from God. The Bible says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And hope makes us resilient. Now let me talk to you a little bit. (laughs) Let me tell you what I want you to get from this sermon series. I want you to know that resilience is within your reach. That whatever you're going through, whatever's dragging you down, if it's a physical issue, like, oh man, I'm just sick all the time. Or if it's a relationship issue, I don't know how I'm going to put up with that person or these people. Or if it's a vocational issue, if I have to work one more day at this job, I'm going to die. Or, or, or whatever it is, I'm just not able to fulfill what I feel like I'm supposed to fulfill. Whatever it is that is dragging you down, resilience is within your reach. And God can help you rebound from that. He can pick you up. He can lift you up because he values resilience and he provides you with tools. But let me say this, and I said this early on before the service. Resilience is a lifestyle kind of thing. When I give you these tools, you cannot take them and just tuck them into the back of your Bible. As you consider these tools that we're going to talk about in the weeks that are ahead, you can't say, I'm going to put that in the attic for that time that I'm going to need some resilience. Because you may be so knocked down by whatever it is in life that's coming, you won't even be able to climb the steps to get into your attic to get them. These tools are tools that need to be in your tool pouch that you wear on your hip. And they can't even stay in there. They are tools that you need to use regularly. Because they are tools that will help you to hone the skill. The skill of resilience. And you can be resilient. I believe as we work through this series... I believe that you can come to speak with the same language as the Apostle Paul spoke with when he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're resilient. We are renewed day by day. You can have resilience. God wants you to have it. I want to pray that we would begin to begin to see that happening in our hearts and lives in a greater way. So would you bow your hearts with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and how it speaks to our well-being because you want us to be able to come back from adversity. You want us to grow through our suffering and learn what you have in mind for us to learn. And you want us to be resilient because when we are resilient, we show your greatness in our life. Plus, God, you just want us to be resilient because you know it blesses us and you love us. So as we give consideration to these tools, both this week as we go from here and in the weeks that are ahead, use these tools to transform our lives that Christ might be glorified in whose name we pray, amen. There's a place
see 